So, Tiffany, I got to say, today is the first day I've been excited to talk to one of these people. Can you guess what kind of person that is? Ooh, what kind of person? Um, a lawyer. <laughs> you are good. Because <laughs> today we're talking to Gordon Firemark. <laughs> <laughs> the lawyer with the best name in the business, That's I got to right. say. Yeah, he is a podcast. He is the podcast lawyer and yep. a pretty cool guy. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Mastering the Podcaster Mindset. I'm Tiffany Kane, podcast coach and professional development expert. And I am David Seiss, professional dialogue and voiceover editor. Together, we will go on a journey with you to truly master the podcasting mindset. Let's break past mindset beliefs that often create barriers to success. You will learn techniques and insider secrets to raise the power of your content and the quality of your sound. We believe your voice is powerful. Your story needs to be told and there is someone out there who will be inspired because you have the courage to share your insights through your podcast. Now, here's today's episode. Well, hello, listener. Today we get to talk to... Gordon Firemark. He's an entertainment lawyer. He is a podcast law expert and one of the best voices in the podcasting industry, I've got to say. I'm in total agreement with you on that one. (laughs) His voice is like (laughs) butter. He has been podcasting for more than a decade, so he's one of those OGs, and he's known as the podcast lawyer. I'm using air quotes right now. He is brilliant and came today to share with us some incredible information. He shared so much great information that we actually had to turn this into a two-part episode. So today is part one of a two-part episode. (laughs) Enjoy the episode. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. We are here, as we said in the intro, with... Probably the best name in the podcasting world. I mean, Gordon Firebark has to be one of the best names ever. Legal pro, podcasting pro. Gordon, we are so excited to be here with you today. Hello. Well, I'm excited too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Gordon. My pleasure. So I'm fangirling a little bit because um, your name comes up all the time. You are so uh, well-respected in the podcasting world when it comes to legalese. You've been podcasting for more than a decade. And um, it's just like you're one of our dream guests. So we are thrilled that you're here. We would love to get a little bit of background on you and how you found the world of podcasting. Well, thank you for uh, for asking and, and all your kind words. I think I need a bigger hat now. But um, <laughs> I am an entertainment lawyer. I've been practicing in the field of entertainment and media um, uh, since I finished law school in 1992. But actually, before I went to law school, I was working in television as a, a well, television associate producer kind of job. And before that, I was working in theater as a behind-the-scenes technician, sound guy, and so on. So podcasting was a way, when when it came time to start marketing my law practice, uh, I was looking at using things. I was a very early adopter of technology and things. And I started using 
um, a blog before the name blog had actually been coined. Wow. And I was always looking, you know, doing email newsletters and all that kind of stuff. And um, I discovered podcasting uh, when Leo Laporte actually left uh, the tech TV network and started up podcasting as a way of continuing what he had been doing on television. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. And around the same time as I was seeing that, a fella calls me up and asks me, would I answer questions on a recording for his audience for this podcast that he had? It was called The Law and Video Podcast. And it started out as, well, actually, he was doing a, a different show, but he, we did that one. His audience loved it, so they asked us to keep making more Q&A sessions, and that became The Law and Video Podcast. But a year into that, he had a change of jobs, and he was no longer able to moonlight with his podcast. So we ended it. But I was sort of hooked, and I realized, mm -hmm. well, got to keep doing this. And it's been a great way to market my law practice and and position me as an expert in, in the field and so on. And um, what happened was when, when I started my own show, this is now mm, 2008 or 2009, um, I figured out the tech. I figured out – I found a co-host. We figured out the format of the show. And then I went looking for, well, what do I need to do legally? And there was nothing out there, no resources. Now, being an entertainment and media lawyer, it was probably kind of geeky of me to even go thinking and looking at that. But I realized <laughs> there was a vacancy. So I sat down and I wrote an ebook called The Podcast, Blog, and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. And that led me to sort of becoming an expert in this field. And um, I realized that podcasters are my kind of people, and I like working with them and helping them and, and just hanging with them. And so it's become sort of a focus area in my practice in addition to theater and film and television. Wow. This is so fascinating. Okay. So my math is, you know, takes me a little bit here for the math, but <laughs> 2008, 2009. Yeah. You, yeah. you've been doing this a long time. So you have seen some incredible changes in the podcasting world. Like you said, when you started legal, there there was nothing for the legal. So right. what, with keeping it in mind, the legal piece, but mm -hmm. maybe even some other pieces, what are some of the really big changes you've seen in podcasting over these last few years? Well, uh, big changes, around, you know, surround the technology and the distribution, of course, but with those things comes legal issues and, and things that, that confront uh -huh. us. Um, you know, when we were, when we were just starting out, it was okay. Watch out, copyright. You know, yeah. don't use yeah. people's music, and that is still probably the biggest, most common question: is Hey, I want to use the opening eight bars of ACDC's "Back in Black" as the opener for my show. <laughs> right? Please, please don't do that. Please don't. Um, <laughs> first of all, it's it's trite and it's been done and <laughs> whatever, <laughs> but it's also against the law. So. Uh, so copyrights, have, and that hasn't changed materially in, in you know, the 50 years or so since the copyright law went, the new copyright law went into effect. We're really due for an update, by the way. But other things that have come up in the field, um, and none of these are really le new legal issues. It's just applying this existing body of law to a new technology and a new medium. Uh, the kinds of things that come up relate to, you know, ordinary business stuff, you know, your partner's. Do you have a, an arrangement between you or what happens if one partner isn't pulling their weight or just decides to bail or you decide you need to fire your partner? Those kinds of things. And the, the, the disputes that come up 
mm. mostly center around who owns it, what what happens if we break up the relationship, those kinds of things. Mm. Um, or you end up in the situation where somebody is unhappy with what you've said or or the nature of your show, and they maybe they were a guest and they want your episode ta- their episode taken down, or maybe they just didn't like what you said. I, I've been seeing a lot more in the true crime arena. That's one of the newer things mm-hmm. is that that's become a big, big genre. Yeah. And when you start telling so-and-so did a crime, <laughs> you better be right about it or you're going to get oh, sued for yeah. libel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So are you saying that if I decide to fire David, I should probably have some legal... <laughs> hey, now. Legal- <laughs> Do you see where she went with that? <laughs> You're both fired. It's my show. Now. <laughs> there we go. Well, oh boy, I, I doubt I could argue. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's the kind of thing I actually call it a prod, a podcast prenup. You got to have something mm-hmm. that articulates the nature of the relationship and some of those what happens if. Just like if you end up with a divorce, who gets the house? Who gets the kids? Mm-hmm. Right. Who's responsible for pay, you know those kinds of things? And so the same issues come up in any business relationship. But um, I think one of the big uh, failure, not failure, but one one of the big things that gets overlooked by podcasters is that this is a business. Mm-hmm. Even if yes. it's purely a hobby in your mind, even if you're just doing it because you got something you want to say and you want to have a little fun with a friend or something like that, you got to give it some thought and, and treat it like a business. Same as if you were opening a hardware store together. You're going to have some paperwork and things to clarify, well, who owns it and, you know, what happens if if we need more money or or what happens if uh, someone stops showing up for work mm-hmm. right same kinds of issues different business i like that you just called it a business <laughs> i like to call it a business too i mean many people they don't think of it as that yeah and especially i think as indie podcasters there's so many of us that are out there that it's like oh it's just a hobby well why isn't it a business mm-hmm. well even even when you treat it and think of it as a hobby because it's this media production kind of an enterprise, there's more to it than just, you know, playing golf on the weekends. Right. Yes. And you're putting stuff out there for the world and you're, you're involving other people. You, you, you need to think of it just a little more seriously. Take it, you know, let's not call it a business. Let's call it a profession. We'll mm-hmm. be professional in our approach to things. The professional approach means you take your, your sound quality seriously. You take your, right content seriously you want to give the best value there for your audience you got to take the back the back end stuff seriously too and being business-like and being professional is really the the way to do that Mm -hmm. yeah so thinking about podcast prenups and Mm -hmm. copyright and what happens if a guest comes on my podcast and they're not happy with how I presented them and all of that good stuff? I mean, there are so many pieces and parts to people's legal questions when it comes to podcasting. What would you say is the biggest misconception that people have about podcasting and the law? I'm gonna, it, I think it goes back to copyright law. Mm. The biggest misconception is, well, I'm not making any money from it, so I can use this thing. Yeah. And and adjacent to that, a lot of people seem to have heard the phrase fair use. Mm. And very few of them, even among the lawyers, really, really understand fair use and the ramifications of relying on it. So 
fair. So let me let me back up a little bit and start with some copyright law basics. When a person or people get together and and create something, the act of authorship is what you need in order to own a copyright in what you've created. If it's one person, that author owns a copyright. If it's a person, if it's multiple people, it's a jointly owned copyright. If unless there's a clear expression of the intent for something else, which is why we'll talk about podcast releases in a few minutes. But when you create something, you own it. You own these exclusive rights to um, to make, distribute, perform, display, and make derivatives or things based on that original work. Exclusive means nobody else gets to do it without your permission, and you get to say no if they ask for your permission and you don't like what they're doing, and they have to ask you. So fair use is this, it's a defense, some people call it an exception, but it's really a defense to claims of copyright infringement that comes up because of the conflict between the First Amendment here in the U.S., free speech principles, which is a direct conflict with a law that says you can't use that thing without permission. Mm -hmm. You can't incorporate someone's song or video or movie clip or whatever into your thing. So the courts had to come up with this approach to well, how do we reconcile this? And it involves a, a sort of complicated balancing of four different factors. None of them is determinative of the of the situation. Uh, and then in 1976, when the new law went into effect, now what is that? Fifty something years, almost fifty years ago, Congress adopted that and said, "Okay, yeah, this is is officially part of the law now." And ever since then, we've been grappling with these issues and, and balancing. And it's a, it's a case-by-case basis. There are no rules of thumb. You have to look at all four of these different mm-hmm. factors. The purpose and character of the use is one of those factors. Educational, informative, cultural criticism, those kinds of uses, news kinds of things, much more likely to be fair use than something that's just pure entertainment or mm-hmm. very commercial in its nature. The nature of the original thing as compared to the new, is there some transformation that goes on from the old to the new? The um, amount and substantiality of what's been taken, if you take the whole song, it's going to be different than if you take three seconds of something. Mm -hmm. And um, that might also not be about quantity, but qualitative amount and substantiality. And then the fourth factor is the impact on the market for the original. And notice I said the market for the original, not I'm, I'm not making money from it. Mm-hmm. which is where that misconception comes up. Mm-hmm. It's about how does it harm or affect the owner of the original? <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, they could have gotten paid and you didn't. That's an, an impact on the market. So those, that, there's your big misconception. That's huge. Yeah. It's, it's more, I, I didn't realize exactly how complicated, <laughs> how complicated that is. So I had a misconception about it too. So thank you. Yeah. Well, there's another component that plays into the misconceptions about using music in particular in podcasts. Mm-hmm. And that is most of us, at least those of us over 30 or so, grew up listening to the radio. Yeah. Where the right. DJ comes on and and hey, da 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 tell, you know, reads the news, reads the weather, let's play a little Beatles for you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they just play it. And so that feels very natural as something you might want to do as a podcast. What people don't realize is that those radio stations pay for licenses mm-hmm. to use the songs. Now, the way they do it is a very um, invisible 
a thing. They pay a blanket amount of money every year, and then they keep records of what songs get played, and then the money they've paid gets divvied up according to some crazy formulas and things. That's what the organizations ASCAP and BMI, and there's two others, CSAC and GMR here in the U.S. There's others in other countries. Those organizations collect those performance royalties. The thing about it is that a podcast isn't the same medium as a broadcast radio program. Broadcast radio is just that. It's broadcast over the airwaves. The airwaves are owned by the cult, by the people, and so there are rules that, that govern that. Podcasting is transmitted digitally. It's You're making a recording and then retransmitting it, and, and, um, and there's a different set of rules for mm-hmm. digital performances, digital recordings, and so on. And, and so ASCAP and BMI only compo- compose a small, I, I say one of the four stops that you need to shop at in order to get permission to use a song in, in a podcast. So another misconception there is that it's easy, just pay ASCAP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a student of ours who got permission to use a song, part of a song that is going to be She's having a musician kind of remake the song, but she had to go yeah. through an intense process mm-hmm. to get permission, and it's only for a certain amount of episodes. I believe it was like 12 episodes or something along yeah. those lines. And, and then she'll have to buy a renewal license. Renewal. Or something. Yes, yeah. and it was expensive and quite a process. It took her months and months, mm-hmm. and she happened to be friends with somebody associated with the band. And so she had an in to be able to Mm -hmm. get this. But man, watching her journey with trying to get a little bit of that song that she's not using the original. She's (laughs) and and even in those situations where you know the 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 artist, Mm -hmm. it's very common that the artist doesn't actually own the right to tell you yes. Right. Yes. They're going to say, yeah, you got to talk to the publisher or you got to talk to the record company or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. In, in, in your friend's case, your student's case, she's not using the recording. She's using right. the, the underlying musical composition. So she's only got to shop two of those stops that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. The other two are relating to the recording, but still got to get the publisher's consent. And, um, and, uh, usually the songwriter has something to say about it as well. So there's mm-hmm. a, yeah. lot, a lot of moving parts. Oh, it's fascinating. I actually heard that recently with uh, David Bowie and Colonel Chris Hatfield. He was on the space station and he played, um, I can't recall the name of the song, but the one where he's, you know, he's basically floating in space and he's playing Mm -hmm. his guitar and he's singing a David Bowie song and and, um, the production company made him pull it down. David Bowie thought it was great, loved it, had no problem with it, but the production Mm -hmm. company said, nope, can't do it. The owners of that copyright said, hey- you know, that requires a license. Now, it was when he did it live on the NASA feed that was right. carried on television, that was covered by the ASCAP licenses that the television companies had. Mm-hmm. But as oh. soon as it ends up on YouTube or someone else is monetizing it or using it in another way, it becomes a whole different thing. That you go from, from analog to digital, right? Right. That is so fascinating. <laughs> you mentioned a lot uh, music. That the, as far as the licensing goes, does yeah. the same thing happen with? Um, because I remember, you know, back in the '80s, I remember friends that were getting into music and they'd record a cassette tape and they'd mail it to themselves as kind of like copyright material. This is when I, you know, buy the federal stamp. Here we go now. Now I'm, you know, good as far as proving that it was mine back in the day. And yeah. so, does the same thing sort of happen with uh, the dialogue, even of a podcast, when you're out there producing your stuff and when it gets aired? Do you have any kind of? Uh, is there any sort of security that you're giving yourself by actually 
uploading the podcast, putting it out on an, on an RSS? Well, yes and no. First of all, um, you know, the same general principles apply to any kind of work of authorship. As long as it's original and it's fixed right. in some tangible form, there's a copyright. In the case of music, we have the two copyrights because you've got the recording of the song as well as the song itself. Um, when you have, yeah, an episode of a podcast, you you and maybe co-hosts or the three of us in this instance have created this work, this recording, and uh, yeah, unless there's a clear intent, otherwise we own it jointly. Mm-hmm. Here we have the clear intent that this is your show. I have no ownership of it. So there you go. There's your evidence. <laughs> if it ever becomes Thank an you. Issue. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah. The, so there is no requirement, or, or well, I shouldn't say that. There's a there's a a registration system for copyrights here in the U.S. You can, and it's a good idea to register the copyright in your work. But there's a cost associated with it, and when you're putting out an episode of a podcast every week or more than that, um, you know that 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 cost adds up. And so there's some question about whether you're going to do it for every episode or just the ones that are likely to be ripped off or whatever. Right. But the copyright protection, those exclusive rights that kicks in the moment you create the work. Hmm. So the uploading is actually helpful because it can establish the timeline of when did you create it? Somebody right. claims, no, I made it first or, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know how they, with podcast episodes, it's sort of weird to think about someone claiming they created it when they're not. <laughs> right. yeah. But um, the upload is the, is the timeline. The registration used to serve the purpose of establishing that timeline. So, um, yeah, so the, there is a little, a little extra protection just because you can prove when it was made. That's the, right. the value. Mm. Interesting. Oh, but let me finish on registration. Yes. Oh, please. <laughs> so it is, as I said, it's a good idea to re- to register the copyright because, first of all, here in the U.S., if you want to file a lawsuit, you must have first registered the copyright. You could do that, you know, the day before you file the the the, the lawsuit if you wanted, or you have to live little time for the government to process things. But you can do that anytime. But if you register the copyright within uh, three months of the first publication of the work, so when you first brought, you know, uh, upload the file to a server. Um, if you do it within those first three months, you also can get your attorney's fees if you sue and win the lawsuit. So that's a good benefit of not having to pay your lawyers cash. <laughs> and you can get statutory damages, which means you don't have to prove your actual losses as a result of the infringement. The judge or the jury gets to decide anywhere in between so you can also get statutory damages if you've registered early. And statutory damages just means you don't have to prove your actual losses out of pocket as a result of the infringement. All you have to do is prove the infringement, and then the judge and the jury get to decide how much money should that mean. And that can range anywhere from $750 per infringement up to about $30,000 per infringement. Wow. And if it's intentional, willful infringement, you can 5X those numbers. Wow. So it could be wow. $150,000 per infringement. That's why you see Cox uh, Cable getting hit with a billion-dollar judgment a year or two ago because of allowing their users to download music files over the Internet. And they right. get yeah, oh. crazy, hundreds wow. of thousands of files, you know. So Yeah. It's like the good old Napster days, right? 
<laughs> people are just downloading music. It was so hard to get our heads around Napster back then, and now it seems so easy. <laughs> yeah, compared to some of for stuff. sure. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh goodness. Okay, so when we think about then this misconception about copyright, what would be like your biggest advice for a new podcaster? This is if I if you could tell a podcaster like one or two things about copyright as they're getting started, what would be your advice for them? Well, first off, just don't use other people's stuff without permission. It's pretty simple. And other people's stuff includes those recordings. Right. Just because you own a copy of it on your on your computer or or your record player, right? <laughs> you uh, that doesn't give you the right to use it in your podcast. If you're just starting out and you're choosing or thinking about a format for a show, do something that doesn't rely on music. Mm-hmm. Just don't. And if you do need to have music for an opening and a closing or for transitions and interstitial stuff in the show, either hire a composer for relatively low money. I think you can probably do that. Or use what are called royalty-free music uh, sources. Royalty-free doesn't mean you don't pay anything, but it means you don't pay every time. So right. you can buy a license to use a particular song, um, you know, for a year or for multiple shows or whatever. And, you know, usually it's not this, It's not going to be the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or Van Halen. It's going to mm-hmm. be more generic kind of music. But it can often do a very good job of conveying mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. Um, be careful when you're shopping for royalty-free music because some of the providers, it is per use, and they consider each episode a use. So if you're paying 30 bucks per for the license and you're going to use it as the show opener for the next 100 episodes, well, now you're talking about quite a lot of money. So yeah. make sure it's it covers the kind of use you want. And I'm pretty fond of the subscription-based ones where as long as you remain a subscriber paying that monthly fee – you can use any music in their in their catalog, and um, and even if you stop paying because you stop producing a show or something, you're grandfathered in, and those old episodes you don't have to keep renewing those licenses. Mm. Mm. That's good to know. How do you tell the difference between a per episode and you bought the music? Gotta read the license agreement. Dang it! <laughs> read it and understand it. And if you don't understand, ask the question. Um, I think most of them are pretty good about telling you what's happening. Mm-hmm. And and I think even some of the ones that were doing the per-use thing um, have a, acknowledged that podcasts are a thing and they're changing the way they approach it a little bit. So, again, if you ask the question, they'll, they'll give you a straight answer. That's a good question to ask. <laughs> I'm even thinking back think? to, yeah, when we, we purchased our music – I don't remember. I just assumed. I just assumed that it was okay. So. We'll talk about that after we finish recording. And I'll tell you what I think <laughs> about you, that Gordon. particular service. <laughs> Whew, I'm like sweating a little. <laughs> I need to go back and look. <laughs> You've been up and, sure. up and running long enough. You would have heard about it if there was a problem. Yeah. yeah. If yeah, it was a problem. Sure yeah. I hope sure so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I go ahead and go back real quick to um, the licensing because we're talking about a lot of times, whenever people think about it, they think of um, music. Obviously, that's that's obviously a big one. Um, another thing that I'm seeing, like you noticed too, there's a lot of the true crime stuff that's coming out. And people quoting things that have been said on the news or through different types of media. Is there an issue with doing those quotes 
and somebody coming back and, and talking to you about it or even like taking a bit of, of a newscast and, and playing back a little bit of a, a reading of a verdict or something like that? Does all of that fall under that same kind of bubble? Well, there, there's a lot of moving parts to that question. You know, there's the copyright component. And if you're, if you're taking a clip from a television news broadcast, they own a, a copyright in their broadcast. So right. you do technically need permission. Now, if it's, if it's a jury verdict that's being read and, and all of the networks, all of the stations are carrying it, I guess, how are they going to know it came from their particular broadcast right. or, you know, whatever. So you, you might just sort of get away with it and, and they're not really going to come chase you down. And, as soon as I say that, someone will get sued. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, from that component, I think you probably a, a short clip like that. Again, newsworthy subject matter, um, the nature of your use. You know, it, it'll it'll play into that fair use thing that we're talking about. I don't like to rely okay. on fair use, but this might be one of those instances where I'd say, "Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be fine." It's okay now, but the content of the message that's can being conveyed, somebody. I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, you know, um, here's a recent example, at least recent to when we were recording this. Amber Heard wrote an editorial that was published in the Washington Post, I think it was, in mm -hmm. which she said something about having been involved in a uh, uh, toxic relationship and a, and a poster child for survival of abuse or something along those lines. And even though she didn't mention the name of her husband at the time the world knew she was married to Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp right. sued her for defamation. He also sued the Washington post because they transmitted that message. Hmm. So we as podcasters have the same issue, just reporting on not reporting saying so-and-so said X, Y, Z mm -hmm. could be a problem if you mm -hmm. don't do something to sort of, back up the facts of being of what's being stated. So defamation, libel, and slander. Slander is the spoken word version. Libel is when you have, you know, recording equipment or or broadcasting mass media or whatever. Right. So we're talking about libel. If you make a factual statement about a particular identifiable person and it hurts their reputation, that's libel. Hmm. So you've got to do fact checking. Truth is the obvious defense to a false statement issue. So if it's true, it's not libel. If it's false, mm -hmm. it is. So do your fact-checking and don't just rely on what your guest is saying, which may mean that you have to add some time to the publication cycle or things like that. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing true crime and you're really just, well, there's another issue here of plagiarism, but a lot of true crime broadcast podcasts are relying very heavily on a single source, a single newspaper's reporting on a subject or something like that. That's dangerous, A, because it's plagiarism. Even if you're not copying the actual words of those reports, you're copying the content and you're not doing your own legwork, your own fact-checking and those kinds of things. So that can be just bad for your reputation if they catch you or, or, or make accusations. But also, if you're not fact-checking, you might get it wrong. And, you know, the local newspaper in small-town Iowa may have, you know, 5,000 readers. If your podcast has 25,000 downloads in the first week, you're a, an easier target for the claim, for the complaint to be made. Mm -hmm. And you're making it, you know, more harm because it's being broadcast. So if you do your fact check and get multiple sources to uh, corroborate what's being said. Now, another thing to, to remember in libel and slander is that 
opinion is another defense to libel. If you, if a person actually is expressing their opinion, so we're not talking about facts anymore because opinions don't always have to be <laughs> true. Um, you know, if you, as long as they really hold that opinion, they're, they're protected again, as long as it doesn't start to sound like fact, you know, saying someone's a child molester is a factual statement. Someone right. says there's something shady about that guy. You know, maybe he likes children a little too much. I'd say that's as far as you can go before you start crossing the line into libel or slander. So, um, again, fact-checking and, and just being careful about those kinds of things. If it doesn't really – if it a, if it doesn't have a big bearing on the subject matter of the show, maybe it's just safer to remove it or, or uh, you know, hedge around it a little bit. And, mm-hmm. of course, if you're doing hard news, then you're going to do the fact-checking and, and make sure you're yeah. covering the subject well. Yeah. Thank you. That helped a lot. Very good. Very helpful. (laughs) Yeah. What is your favorite part of doing legal for podcasting? You know, I love working with creative people. I love working with people who have something to say. They have a message to get out. And so my favorite part is the people. My favorite part of, of working as a lawyer here is just basically helping folks learn and know how to get their messages out in a way that is, you know, safe for them. They're not going to get sued. They're not going to get in trouble, but that also helps them have the impact that they really are are looking to make with their show. And, and, you know, that, what that impact is, is going to be different for every show, but, but what's important is their freedom and ability to get it out. And what I love about podcasting as a medium is that the playing field has never been more level. You don't have mm-hmm. to own a printing press. You don't have to own a television broadcast uh, a license mm. and, and transmitter. You know, with, let's call it a $1,000 investment, you've got really the makings of of uh, the ability to get your message out. Now, attracting an audience is a whole other game. But um, <laughs> you start by having a, an important, powerful, impactful message. And I'm all about helping you guys get those things out and do it in a way that's safe and where you're protected and... Um, and uh, uh, that you have an opportunity to profit from it if that's what you want to do. I think we have a lot in common with you about our favorite part as well. Because we always say it's the people. It's the people. It's yeah. the connections. It's a community. Yeah. And uh, it is our goal to get as many different voices out there, get that good variety. All right, David, I know that your mind is probably spinning as much as my mind is. What were some of your big takeaways with what Gordon shared with us today? One thing I really liked was how he said that podcasting is a business. And I think a lot of people don't think of it as that because it's a hobby. And some hobbies need to be taken seriously because of what you're doing. And podcasting is one of those. Absolutely. We don't realize the impact sometimes that Mm -hmm. our words can have or maybe even the repercussions of what it is that we're saying and our guests are saying. So it's good to be aware and to set yourself up for success. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved – you know how I always grab onto these little little moments of just human ingenuity that blow me away. And so Gordon said that – Being a lawyer and getting into podcasting, he was looking for 
information on how he can protect himself as a lawyer. And he realized there was nothing out there. So what did he do? He went out and wrote a book about it. (laughs) Right. Why not? Let's go ahead and just write a book. That way we've got some info we can reference. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I, I love that. And it's such a good lesson for us beyond just the law and beyond podcasting. It's if you see a need, fill it. Mm Mm-hmm. Do what you need to to fill it. So what did he do? He wrote a book. He set himself as the podcast lawyer. He started his own podcast specifically about podcast law. He created courses. So not only is he a pretty big name in the general entertainment industry, he deals a lot with theater and things of that sort. But he also said, I see a need and I'm going to fill that need and has proceeded over the course of the last 10 years to really set himself up as an expert in the podcasting industry. Mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. I think his expertise definitely comes through. I felt like I left uh, this interview with a lot of clarity Mm -hmm. on a lot of things. And basically what it came down to was... If you question it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know better, and yeah. that's why you're questioning it. Should I use music? Should I read a book? Should I do all these things? Well, gosh, do you really think you should be using copyrighted material on your podcast that you're putting out there for the internet world to listen to? No. Yep. If you're really worried about it, typically the answer is going to be no. Yep. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. So that was very, very powerful. I also like how he said fact check. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people are getting into podcasting and and they're into the the murder, you know, mm-hmm. true crime, done it, true yeah. crime type of thing, and they're telling a story, and they can really influence the way people think about a story. And sometimes for the better, sometimes big, important changes can happen and sometimes for the worse. And if you're sharing misinformation, then that's really bad. One of our favorite shows, Only Murders in the Mm -hmm. Building, you can see that. (laughs) They share on their podcast misinformation. They come to what they believe is the truth and they share it. And then people believe that and come to find out it wasn't actually the truth. Right. Um. We love that show, <laughs> but it's, it's so very important. We have a responsibility. We are public figures in the media, and we do have a responsibility to go about what we do and say in an ethical way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think our episode with uh, Laura Powers sort of made me realize we are media. We don't think about it that mm-hmm. way. And then ha- hearing Gordon Earlier, it definitely was just reinforcement that we are media and everything that we say has impact and we need to be aware of that. Yep. I'm going to link the Laura Powers interview in the show Mm, notes. That was a fun one. That was a good one. She's, you guys, she's amazing. She's a psychic medium that has totally leaned into the media piece of podcasting and and she's phenomenal. All right, David, I think we're going to continue the rest of this conversation about Gordon in part two. So everybody, please make sure you check back in for part two. In the meantime, we do need to give a shout out to our amazing sponsor, Focusrite. Mm -hmm. Focusrite has an incredible piece of equipment that really helps podcasters. They have the Vocaster 1 and they have the Vocaster 2. Will you tell us about why this wonderful little piece of equipment is so phenomenal for podcasters. I believe it's the first 
interface that's been built specifically for podcasting. So it doesn't have all of the other features that aren't needed that you typically see on an interface to be able to plug your microphone into your computer and get a good quality recording. It is just made for podcasting. All the knobs and dials are right up in front where you can get to them. Uh, Cords go out the back so they're not laying on top of your lap. Like It's just a really, really well thought out device and works extremely well for what we want. It, It just does exactly what we want it to do. We got to test it out with some of our most powerful mics, our AEAs, which we're on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, these mics are ribbon mics, and they take a lot of power. Yeah. And we used our AE mic, AEA mics and connected to the Vocaster and then streamed live into our Facebook group, mm-hmm. which was incredible. So we had phenomenal sound on our Facebook Live. And the Vocaster could handle these incredibly high-end, very powerful ribbon mics, gave them beautiful gain, beautiful sound. Yeah. We actually, during that live, we swapped out, I probably used six different microphones on that live. And it was because of the auto gain set feature. All I had to do was plug the microphone in and press in, in, in a matter of 10 seconds, my gain was set and I didn't even have to worry about it. Made it very, very easy. Yeah, Very easy. Thank you, Focusrite, for making the Vocaster and helping podcasters get great sound really easy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you everyone for listening. Have fun recording. Have fun recording. Thanks for hanging out with us today. As a special thank you, we invite you to download the free guide in the show notes called The Biggest Mistake Podcasters Make and How to Avoid It. Please take a moment to leave us a review. Well, only if you really like the show. (laughs) (laughs) And come on over and join our free Facebook community. We'd love to have you there. We believe your story is powerful and needs to be heard, and we would love to help you tell it. Okay. As soon as the wind stops, then the car passes, and the gate closes. Don't get alarmed by the Japanese beetle. What Japanese beetle? The one that's right by you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the warning. Uh, Okay, here, I don't need these anymore. I think we're good. I hope we're good. If not, I have a lot of work to do. That's why I didn't hear him. I had my headphones on. <laughs> um, he's going to come up in the microphone. Did you guys hear the Japanese beetle? Are you ready? I am so ready. Okay. I'm just realizing how many noises are actually going to be in this <laughs> recording.